welcome back to shooting the ish with a brit guys i'm jen and i am david the brit hi jen hi hi listeners hey y'all how you doing fine fine how are you doing i'm good and it, it still amazes me I, I said this about three episodes ago that your hair was the same three times in a row and it still is the same which is it's got to be a record i don't know it's a shame i'm falling off man it's why is it a shame it looks good it's a shame because if i usually change it around then maybe there's something going on with me you know what i mean like that's a thing where if i specifically okay but more generally black women but me specifically i'll keep it with me my hair is kind of the same like right now it is natural curly blue mm-hmm. instead of maybe in straight or wavy blue or another color or whatever then clearly something was going on with me so i just have to admit to you yes something was going on with me oh yes it was the big burden of this outline that right. i have sprinkled throughout these episodes <laughs> And in, in, I was just thinking in the back of my mind if maybe that focus, because uh, I do a similar thing, I neglect certain elements of my life when I'm focused on a project like that. Yes. Ishmael brought up a really good point or an ob- observation um, that was fascinating. He was like, you're in album mode. I was like, what does that mean? He was like, <laughs> anytime that like an artist is trying to like craft their album, they neglect to do their hair, they neglect to do their nails, they just wake up in sweatpants pajamas and get right to the album i said yeah i think that's what's been going on with me and so i was like i ascribe to that and so i deserve nothing i deserve nothing good until i finish this outline and by good i'm being a bit of a jester but by good means i'm not going to change my hair up for a little while i'm not going to get my nails done my nails are atrocious okay my toes have white paint just speckled on them right now um and yeah i haven't really been very uh creative in my outfit choices either but now that i'm done with the outline okay i can like i i deserve some things i deserve something so hence so the hair thing that's what's been going on i'll add two things to that one uh to to frame it a different way you said not deserving anything good while you're doing it Yes. I disagree with that because for me, when I'm being creative, I'm like, I, I need all the good stuff to help me be creative. Mm. Um, but um, the what it does show is the power and importance and excitement of being creative and how it can, these things that, that you know, prior to you getting into this outline, that's as the example, um, were so important to you and things that you did on a regular basis. But as soon as you got your head in that frame of mind, nothing else was as important. And that's exciting. And that shows that you're working on something that's really special and important. And, and so that's fantastic. Um, but, but the reward element is huge. And I am very big on rewarding myself when I do get to certain stages. And I highly encourage you to do that as well. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. How right. are you doing on a deeper level? Uh, I am good. I, we, we just talked offline a bit, but just so the listeners are aware, because this is important. I just got a new bed for the first time in in five, six years. And uh, I'm so happy. Um, The advancement in bed technology is quite something. And I'm sure a lot of you have have these new memory beds and whatnot. And, uh, and I love it. Um, Just just gonna throw that out there before we get into it. It's been fantastic. And what side of the bed do you sleep on? 
if, if you're laying on the bed, I'm on the right side. Is that near a wall or near the door? Uh, it's not, it's, it's the opposite to the door, but to me, it doesn't matter where the door is. And I, I know a lot of people kind of have, they want to be further from the door for, you know, safety reasons. Um, it's kind of that instinctual thing. Um, but for me, it's never, it's always just been the right, that side of the bed. I don't know why. Mm, okay. Well, congratulations on your bed. That's exciting. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, all right. And then uh, this week, and, and uh, we're talking about us being in college and in, and in college, uh, just to, to connect the dots. Um, in my second year, I had a single bed in, and I had this tiny room in this house that I shared with my friend and it was so small. And uh, I, I always think back to that bed um, whenever I'm in any kind of bed, to be honest, I'm like, I'm so glad I have a nice, comfortable, bigger bed at this point because that was not a good year in that bed. Especially when, you know, being a young single gentleman for the majority, you know, a single bed isn't great. What it made it small? I don't understand. Say that again. What made the bed small? What do you mean? It, by it that? was just small. It was like, like it was a, a twin size bed. Yeah, I guess so. Okay. It was, yeah, like a single person bed. Because my it. room was so like, if you had the single person bed, uh, you probably get another like sixty percent width of that, and that's the how wide my room was. It Got was it. Tiny. I had no money, so I, I I agreed to take the smaller room to pay less rent in the house. Got it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yes, listen, so this, this week we're talking about our college years, which I know I had a lot of fun and I'm, I'm guessing that you did as well, Jen. Um, I myself was down in, in Bournemouth in Southwest England. Um, it was an arts university and I, and I studied uh, film production, specializing as a producer. Um, Bournemouth is, uh, is filled with students and old people. It's generally known for that. There's not, it's not, obviously there are families, but not really as many as old and young people there. So it was a great place, um, great place to, to go to college. What about you? Um, I went to um, the American University in Washington, D.C. from the right. years 2002 to 2006. So I was 18 to 22 years old, uh, graduated in four years, which I didn't realize was a big deal then. Usually it takes people longer to finish their bachelor's degree. And I graduated with the Bachelor of Arts in Film and Media Arts with a minor in Justice. And yeah, overall it was it was good. It was a good experience. I I it was it was a good choice. It was a very conscious choice to go to this particular university. So I think I made I made a decent decision. I made a decent decision. Interesting. Um so for me, the university I went to was my only choice. Uh, I, mm. I, I really, and quite honestly, I didn't, mm. I didn't, it's not like in the, here in the US where you really plan for a long time. Mm -hmm. And actually maybe it is for other people in the UK, but for me, I kind of treated it as I treat most things in life, like trust my gut. And as soon as Bournemouth came onto my radar, um, I just knew that was where I wanted to go. Um, and I didn't even know that it was one, it's one of the best film schools in the country, or at least was. Um, and I didn't even really know that. I just thought that's, that's for me. Um, and I'm, and I'm glad I did. And it all seemed to kind of work out from there. Um, but we'll get into that. Um, yeah, it, I mean, college, what, what a, a wonderful, wonderful time. I will say before we get into it, um, for me, education, as you know, I have different problems with education, but going through school and going through college, I kind of, I only ever did what I had to do 
to to do you know enough right it wasn't necessarily about the actual work for me it was about the experience um mm. and for me you know in in my college years it was uh i made i produced films which was great that was like the best part for me and 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 my friends right the new friends i made and live with and so we're still lifelong friends uh, to this day obviously um but yeah the work wasn't wasn't number one the the kind of the uh, written stuff and the, the best example i can give is that uh, my dissertation uh, which was 6,000 words, I did it the night before I had to hand it in, uh, which was insane, uh, as you know, you know, you can imagine. Um, and, and I did the dissertation on uh, Lost Season 1, the dual roles of faith and science. Mm. It's ludicrous. I can't believe I, I got a grade for that, to be honest. Wow. Um, anyway. Love so. it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, so why don't you tell me what's your what's your first anecdote this week about college? Um, that I was introduced to Caribbeans, like Caribbean folks. Right. So American University, the American University is in Washington, D.C. And Washington, D.C. has a very robust Caribbean community. And I'm talking specifically about English speaking, French speaking, Creole speaking Caribbeans. Okay. That means Haitians, Trinidadians, Bayesians, um, Crucians. And this experience really enlightened me because Chicago doesn't have a big Caribbean community. So I got to learn about soca music. I got to learn about Calypso music um, and Caribbean food. I got mm -hmm. to eat a lot of oxtail. I was dating a, a guy who was um, half Grenadian and half Bayesian, so I ate a lot of oxtail, um, stews, beans. Um, and so I just really, and, and one of my really good friends to this day um, is Crucian. Um, last year, I actually went to her home country and hometown, spend time with her and her family, her kids. Um, and yeah, I was just introduced to, to Caribbean. So my experience as like a general black person in Chicago was just American, you know, people, my people from this country from generations, right? right? And I would know a few Puerto Ricans who are also of African descent, but like, that was it. So this Washington DC experience allowed me to get to know other types of racially black people who are ethnically Caribbean. Um, so yeah, so that was a really big influence when I went to school. And how, and how did that kind of change the way you perceive uh, the world, I guess, and the people around you? Because that, that's such a stark difference um, mm -hmm. and quite eye-opening, I'm sure. Um, how did that change? Mm -hmm your thought process there. just expanded it just expanded it like a balloon you know just like a balloon you just add more air in the balloon and it gets bigger um so yeah that's that's all the uh what i do love about that the uh cation basin they're wonderful words by the way cation what did i say cation you said you said crucian crucian so from from um Go ahead. The Crucian Basin. So Crucian, let me explain where Crucian from. Crucian yeah. is St. Croix. Okay. St. Croix, the, the Virgin Islands, the American Virgin Islands. Yeah. Bayesian, those are people from Barbados. Yeah. 
Trinidadian from Trinidad. Awesome. Right. Haitian, as you know. Yada, awesome. yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're, they're beautiful words. Just, just Aren't they? Yeah. Um, and then okay. so, soca music and calypso music. Um, uh-huh. I'm sure I've heard some of this music over the years because, as you'd imagine, there's a you know quite a heavy population of Caribbean fo- uh, folk in the UK as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what, what did you like about that music? And do you still listen to it now? I didn't like it. Who said I liked it? Oh, <laughs> I didn't, say I, I didn't like the music. I like the food, um, right. but I'm not. I'm not a fan of calypso and soca. I just it just doesn't go with me. Maybe because I didn't grow up with it, but I don't think that's what it is. Um, yeah. So my friend Makeda plays or played at the time a lot of calypso and soca, and so when I heard it, of course, it was very foreign to my ear. She had to educate me on what kind of music it was. Mm-hmm. And to this day, it's just not, it's not my favorite. Now, there are other types of Caribbean music that I, that I vibe with, you know. Um, you know, I don't mind reggae. It depends on what kind of reggae. So those are Jamaicans, right? So, um, like reggae, a little bit like old school, right? It's okay, you know. Um, but yeah, the point is I was just introduced to another kind of Black folk in a different part of the world who I'm now sharing college experience with. Um, And I think that even for my friend Makeda, who, you know, came to DC from St. Croix, Virgin Islands, she's now having an intimate experience with um, Americans from the mainland, because technically, you know, St. Croix is a territory of the U.S., but it is different to be up here than to be down there. Um, so it was nice to connect with my my Caribbean uh, sister of African descent. Love it. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, okay, uh, so for me, my first one is, I'm actually going to talk about my interview for my, for college. Okay. And uh, as I said before, it's a good competitive college, uh, it's Arts University, and I drove or got the train down to Bournemouth to go and interview and, and I, I prepared somewhat and I think I had to kind of provide some materials like a sketchbook and all of this, you know, little movies I'd made, which were, by the way, just me making movies with no camera, which was, you know, it was in 2003, so the technology wasn't great. So, you know, I think there was like a stop motion animation I'd made or something. It was just ridiculous. Like, you know, I look at it now, but like I would never let that person in um but uh, i i went and the, the guy who interviewed me i can't i can't remember his name now but he actually got fired uh before i even started which is which is interesting so he was on his way out um but but when he interviewed me um i remember within within five ten minutes of being in the room with him he said to me you're a producer he said that he said that's what you're going to do here and uh whether he just wanted to fill those slots i don't know um but he just kind of explained he said i just get that sense you know the way you are talking and, and how you interact uh seemingly with life and, and what you're explaining that that's what and, and as soon as he said it you know explaining logistics and organizing and planning i'm like yeah that makes mm. that makes a lot of sense to me um and and he was right you know he he really just right away tapped me for for where my the, my best skill set lay in that moment at the very least um and obviously it started me on this path to work in production which i've done my whole career so i thought that was really interesting that he just picked up on it right away you know and i was a nervous kid i had no idea and 
I was the first person in my family that's ever gone to college, right? So the, the, the onus of it, it wasn't as grand as I think it is to most people. To me, it was like, okay, great, I can go to college, I'm going to do it. It sounds, I can't wait, right? And just, this mm-hmm. is what I'm going to try and do. It doesn't work out, I'll work something else out. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, I got in because as I said, it was my only choice. And if I hadn't done, I hadn't really, I didn't have a plan for a backup. So <laughs> I was very lucky, <laughs> very lucky. So this interview thing, is that just, is that unique to that university? No, I think I, I expect every, most universities do it in the UK. Um, I had to submit, uh, like I had to do a written thing. Uh, and, and as I had to like provide um, references of stuff I've done and videos or whatever. And then if you get, if you're liked at that stage and what they review, then they invite you for the interview and kind of make the decision based on that. Okay. That's interesting because every time I see interviews like here in the US, it's only like on TV at like an Ivy League school or something. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. Okay. And so since he suggested, you know, producing might be a good track for you and you're in agreement, what did you expect that to look like? Uh, the course, you mean? To be a producer. What did that look like to you? You know what? The- I say this because I still work the same way now. Um, when I'm have, am given a job or I set a task or this is what I'm doing, I tend to not try and overthink it before I'm in the moment. And and not to say I don't. I mean I'm a planner, right? I, I you know I try and understand things, but I, I try not to set expectations and I just try to kind of be prepared for whatever aspect will come at me. Um, and fortunately, I've, you know I've got better at that over the year and I'm and versatile and adaptable. Um, I think that's one of my strongest skills, actually. Um, so I didn't really, I didn't essentially prepare from the interview till the moment I got there. I just knew I was going to get there and, and do my thing, whatever that was. And, and, and honestly, I didn't know what that was, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I was just leaving home, right? Uh, <laughs> so, I, you know, I've never lived on my own. I've never lived with friends. I've never been in that environment where it's so easy to have fun and so easy to do what you want. And, you know, also you're responsible for yourself. So as much as doing the course, you kind of all those other elements are in that thought process and conversation as well. So, yeah. Okay. Were there any producers at the time that you sort of referenced as people that whose footsteps you wanted to follow in since now you were introduced to this idea of being a producer? I, I, I don't remember, but I suspect not. Like I was, I was probably quite unprepared for that interview really mm-hmm. in, in mm-hmm. that you know, mm. I do like to, what I, I like to rely on my innate knowledge that I, you know, gather over the years. And then I just try and mostly I'm just trying to be myself, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's the way I've always, and I've got better at doing that over the years um, and more confident in that way. And that was probably the early stages of that, you know, I'm just trying to be myself, but at the same time, I'm a nervous kid, right? So. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. So. Okie dokie. He was on the nose. He knew, he, he knew it right away. Good. Yeah. Um, sex. Mm-hmm. I did it. I started doing it. Mm-hmm. In college, Good okay? Good for you. With the Caribbean guy. With okay. my boyfriend. Had some stew and um, then some sex. Huh? Had some stew and then some sex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Um, that's funny. Um, so, yeah, I had the sex. And the thing is, you know, when I was a kid, it was like, 
a devilish act to do okay growing Mm up in the pentecostal church there were so many messages of don't do it just don't do it just avoid it just step over it close the window the door rebuke it throw fire on it just avoid don't do it right so i had the sex and he was also very religious which was interesting and mm-hmm. so after we had actually as we're ha- no was it after after we had the sex i freaked out i freaked out and I said, I'm going to hell. Like, I'm going to hell. Immediately, it's going down. Like, there's just no way around this. Wait, wait so like, like you, you just finished? And then immediately? Just finished, <laughs> yes. And then I immediately start crying, oh. breaking down, saying I'm going to hell. No turning back. What have I done? And then he freaks out. He's traumatized, pulls up his pants, okay? <laughs> leaves the house, leaves the house. Was it his house or your house? It was his home. <laughs> it was his home. Um, he comes back. He tells me I had to go to the park to pray because my reaction freaked him out. Uh, but then a few weeks later, we went back at it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what are you what are you gonna do um but yeah that was that was that was the time sir that was the time and how old was that i was 18 he 18. was 23 yeah yes. all right mm-hmm. That's good. I, I mean to be honest i wish i had done it later uh and, and kind of been a bit more prepared for it um no you were out here at 14 i know i was you know I didn't know any better. Um, uh, so let's go back to the, the first bit, which is, you know, being re- most religion, it, you know, sex yes. before marriage is not a good thing, right? It's a very negative thing. And it's actually one thing, uh, I can understand that aspect of it if you have certain beliefs. The one thing that's always irked me about religion in this context is that the pressure that if you, as a religious person within that part of that religion, even if you think about it, you should feel guilty, which, which is a very common pressure that religions put on people. And that, I'm sorry, is fucking outrageous to, to, to blame people and to, to condemn people and to make them feel bad for thinking about things which they have no choice about thinking about their natural human instincts and desires. I think that is such an awful thing. Um, and, and, and that is most religions you know, the big ones at the very least really put pressure on that. So I am condemning that element of religion. Um, again, personal preference or not, if you want to have sexual marriage or not, that's up to anyone. I, and, and I understand in a religious context, but to condemn thoughts about it, I think that's, that's brutal, especially for younger people who are, you know, learning about this and learning about being human being and, and the, you know, the people they're attracted to. Um, it's just a lot of pressure. And it's, it's just... It's like, uh, I think we, we talked before, um, in fact, let's, let's use the example of uh, when you had your first boyfriend and your mom came to you and she was super interested and really nice about it, supportive, right? That's a really healthy way to talk about something that's important like that. If, if, if she, like we said at the time, if she had come to you and, and pushed you and, and been negative about it, it would have sparked probably negative reactions in different ways. 
the same thing for this, right? It's just going to give you these, these probably lifelong thoughts about sex that make it a negative thing. Whereas the one thing we know as human beings, right? This is the only absolute we really know is that, is that men fit inside women. And when they do, they often reproduce, right? And that's the aim of, of, of reproduction. Um, that's the one thing we know about us as a species, to be honest. So to, to put such a negative onus on that, I think is awful. That's my two cents on that part. Um, I think but, where my rearing, my rearing went wrong was in the avoidance of talking about it. Sure. I think the non-communication is what really hurts Christian men and women. Because, yes, like you said, we have thoughts, they come. Mm -hmm. We have physical desires, they come. We have physical manifestations of things that are born out of sexual desire erection right wetness mm -hmm. right i mean we're adults these are things dreams sexual dreams desires so if we're not even talking about these things and then just saying avoid it say no like the the what is that the nancy reagan thing just say no you know right. to drugs to sex say no to sex but you're not talking about it that's what really does, that's what really does, does people in like that is what is bad. Um, because there are plenty of people in the Bible having the sex. Okay. The Bible is amazing, by the way. It's the best. Um, and there are people all over the place doing wild stuff in the Bible. All right doesn't mean that just because they're doing the wild stuff that God is ordaining it or blessing it, but there are conversations happening between God and his people about, and what it's really about is protecting yourself. So here's the thing, and I'm going to keep it short, okay? Sex is a big deal to me. It is a big deal, especially as a woman, because you are receiving a man inside of you. And so it is a very spiritual act. Mm -hmm. And so I know somebody in my family right now who is very promiscuous. I mean, she'll tell you she's promiscuous. She got to a point where she was like, I just feel nasty. I feel nasty that I am giving myself to so many people. And I said, well, if you know that about yourself, then be more honorable about your body and about who you're having sex with, because it is a spiritual act. Um, and if you're feeling this way about all these people that you're taking in, then you need to reevaluate some things, right? And she received that. But because I didn't have those conversations, but I had the physical desire when I had it and I looked at the act and didn't know exactly what the act was, what it meant in general and what it meant to me, I freaked out. So I think the church, slowly but surely now, they're having conversations more about sex and they're also not demonizing it because sex is a gift from God. It is a gift from God. And it is not just for having children, even though that's a big part of it, of course, but it can be pleasurable, you know, to drop some knowledge on you. The Bible says whatever happens in the marriage bed, you cannot call it defiled. Whatever you do in the, okay, that's looking, but that's whatever the hell it is that you be getting down with, okay, if you're married. Um, but outside of that, if you're not married, you will take on a feeling, you'll take on a lot of different things when you are having sex with people. That's real, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I can uh, agree, understand uh, the majority of that for sure. Um, it's, it, uh, but, uh, 
specifically sex is spiritual absolutely and it's you know in my younger years i was just a horny you know kid right and, and you know would have sex with uh you know anything i could that was that was hot and whatever i was attracted to um but certainly more in my older years um uh, i'm a lot i'm a lot more selective right um, you know really really uh really very much so these days um about who i spend my time with in that respect yeah uh, but one the one thing i'll always say I'm grateful that I was is I've always been careful and always protected myself and, you know, never had an STD, never, never had any issues like that. And uh, I'm really grateful. I guess I was conscious of that young enough that uh, I could prepare myself for that and continue like that. So okay, it's a good thing. Um, all right. Uh, that's a, that's a great one. Uh, you know, and, and as you say, sex is a wonderful thing. It's, it's as simple as that. Um, all right. For me, number two, the the biggest one of the biggest things that I got was, you know, I mentioned earlier at the beginning was, you know, obviously you're leaving home, you're leaving your, your family home and, and that kind of you're, you're taking on that responsibility. At the same time, you're also living with your mates, which is really, really fun. But also sometimes it can be really difficult as well. Right. You know, because you're suddenly with in my first year, I was with there was five of us in one house. Um, and one of those was my friend, Greg, who, uh, I've known since school. So I've known him since I was 11. And then, uh, the, one of the other ones was Sakani who you've met. Um, and we actually, Sakani and I met, we talked about this on our, the episode he came on, um, we met in a kind of a bridging week before I even started. And the, the three of us, Greg, Sakani and I were like, let's live together. That'd be great. We found another, actually three women. So six of us anyway. Uh, so that that was that was a real eye opener, real experience living on my own, but also with my friends. Um, I just just had a wonderful time, you know. Things like Sakani and I coming back after going out and smoking weed and playing chess until the early hours of the morning was just one of my most fond memories of being at college. Um, and then obviously the house parties and hanging out and just just building those relationships was just was just fantastic. I had such a good time. I really did. And I'm so grateful to have met my friends there and, and, you know, built that relationship. And, and a lot of them, you know, we're still, we're still tight. And um, obviously I live in the U S so I don't see them nearly as much as I'd like to, but we're always in communication and I'm really grateful um, for that experience. And, and that's a huge part of it. Um, and, and, you know, and, and all of those uh, friends, particularly several of them, have supported me through my life since then, right? They, we, whether working together or just as friends, um, they, they've been there for me and, and vice versa for them over the years in diff, difficult and fun times. And, and that's really significant. So, so that's one thing I owe a lot to college is, is meeting that, that core set of friends that I, I still hold very, very dear to me. Who was the nastiest person in that house? Uh, nastiest in what way? Whatever way you take it. Uh, I'll give you, I'll give you a couple of, uh, fun examples. Uh, first thing that came to mind is we used to play shotgun rule, which was so silly. And the rule was, you know, shotgun, not doing this. And whoever says it last has to do it. Uh, we used to get go in my, in Greg's room, uh, on a morning after we'd been out and been drinking all night and was super hungover and like probably still drunk. Um, and we'd go into his room we'd sneak in when he's still asleep. And at the same time, we'd all, we'd all go, shotgun, not doing a shot of vodka. And this is like seven in the morning. Mm. And then we'd bring him in a shot of vodka and he would he would do it. Like, such a champ. He would always kind of follow up on that, which I really appreciate. Um, but that leads me on to 
pranks in general and we did a lot of those and i'm curious if you did that back in your day no. uh, what one of my um one of the best ones i think we ever did and maybe i've mentioned this before maybe not um, my friend adrian uh who, who's i love adrian dearly um greg sam and i who sam's another friend of ours we were in a, the dollar store one day and for some reason we saw these dollar alarm clocks and we thought we'd buy a few of them i think we bought about eight or something no idea what we were doing with them at the time um but when we got back we we decided that we were going to go into adrian's room set the alarms 30 minutes apart starting from 2 a.m that morning oh my gosh we, oh, we then, no. and there was, there was eight of them so it went from like 2 a.m to 6 a.m or whatever it was or, oh or later um and and we hid them all around his room oh my gosh including like i think one of them we cut open his mattress and hid it inside we, oh we, my god we that one outside his bedroom window like outside of the house <laughs> um some of them were ridiculously hard to find so it gets to like one o'clock in the evening and by the way this is the the night before we start our second year of college right so and, and in england I, i've got to say this up front we only do three years of the bachelor's degree and the first year doesn't even count towards your your grade it's just year two and three so year two is the first important year the night before we start we we hide all these alarm clocks in Asian's room and um it's about one o'clock i'm all sitting in the living room watching a movie in the morning and, and i look at greg and sound like Fuck, the alarm clocks are going to go off we got to get to bed because otherwise you know he's going to be up and we're going to get in trouble so we all like oh really tired let's go to bed none of us can sleep because we're just anticipating right. Asian and waking up from these alarm clocks um and and he's clearly gone to sleep two o'clock comes around you fucking bastard you know, you bad, you bastard. You know, shouting down the hall of the, the house and, and he finds the first one easily deliberately gets back to sleep within that half an hour he gets oh my over god. it then the next one goes off oh <laughs> my god y'all are some assholes oh it was it was brilliant um and i think it got to one point where there was like two or three of these alarms going off because he couldn't find them oh um, my god um, and he was so angry uh fortunately we all had locks on our doors on our bedroom doors oh my he, he was god like, with a screwdriver at our doors like taking off the door handles to get in our room because he was so angry um but the the, the funny thing obviously is that none of us in the house slept at all that night because exactly. the alarms were going off he was shouting and it was just it was just so funny um but that was probably one of the the most fun pranks we ever did I, i'm really proud of that one that is an amazing prank. I'm going to steal that. Like that is so clean. It actually isn't right. nasty. I mean, nasty because y'all kept that man up and he couldn't even find it. And he was probably angry. Off his oh, he ass. was so angry. He but was it's, so angry. man, that's such a good prank. Nobody had ever heard of that before. That was just off the top of the dome because y'all had we, these alarm really clocks. Yeah, man, yeah. that's brilliant. That is a prank right there. That's we, good. We and then it was even meaner because, you know, you can get to REM sleep after like 20 minutes, you know, like 20, 30 minutes. So right when he's like four levels down, you know, in his sleep, ready to be where Leo DiCaprio is right now, all of a sudden you're yanking him out of that. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah, that's pretty nasty. It, it was a good one uh, and a great way to start the year. Um, but we, we did many, many pranks. I love that. Yeah. I absolutely love that. So you guys had a lot of fun in your house. That's yeah, good. We, we had a lot of fun. We did. It was, it was a great, uh, really, that was the, the best part of my college, honestly, like spending time and building those relationships. 
we had so much fun during that period. Oh, that's yeah. so good. Yeah. Um. Okay. Lastly, for me is when I was in college, like my absence really affected my little sister, Eris. And so Eris uh, came into my life when I was 11 years old. So when I went to school at 18, she was like seven. And so she said to me, actually, like a few years ago, she was like, when you went off to college, it just made me feel so sad because it was like my best friend was gone. And so, you know, as we were thinking, or as I was thinking about uh, some of the most pivotal moments from college, that's a big one for me because like she had just told me that like a few years ago, right? So I didn't know that in college, but I can say in college, there was such a separation for me of being, you know, in school versus being home. Like I had such a desire to leave. Like I was so excited to like be somewhere else, do something else, expand my wings that I do feel like as a big sister, I left my little sister just out in the cold, you know, a little bit. Um, and so, you know, when I reflect on that, I'm like, damn, like I really could have called my little sister more, you know, I didn't know how much it affected her. So I feel like, yeah, like my freedom, my desire to like be away really affected our relationship like a lot because four years and it wasn't just four years that I was in DC. Like I was in DC for five, five and a half years after I graduated. Um, and so, you know, after that time, my sister is like 13, 14 years old and we're just not as connected, you know, as we were when I was physically in the home. Mm -hmm. So that was a really big deal. Yeah. Did you, so after that then, did you, did you kind of consciously do some work to, to mitigate that or did no. it just naturally? No, matter? it was just, uh, it was just a relationship that I was just used to now, you know, being disconnected from my sister and engaging with her um, when I spoke to my mom, you know? Um, yeah. And what about now? It's still kind of disengaged, you know? My sister, you know, I don't, I never really know like how she really feels about things. Like I have to pay attention to her actions to know. Um, yeah. And I think, I think, uh, our disconnection when I was in college has really informed that relationship today. We love each other. My sister will do anything for me and vice versa, but there's no intimate relationship. Does that make sense? It, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, communications uh, key to any relationship, right? And if you're, and the thing is, uh, back then we also got to remember there weren't cell phones. There wasn't the internet. Um, no, so I had a cell phone. I did. Oh yeah. Oh, actually, I guess we did. Mm -hmm. It was like right at the advent. Yeah, because yeah, I remember that. I had a Nokia. Mm. But, but she probably didn't. You know, it's not like she had Facebook or Instagram. Well, so. I mean, I'm not gonna make any excuses. You know, like I. No, no, I'm not. I'm not saying that. But it's more just for context of where we're at now. Oh, I see. Yes, you know, yes, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, she didn't have that connection to you, right? So now, you know, like my family in England and your family now, you can communicate via these various means. Mm -hmm. So you, it's it's so much easier to be more disconnected. Mm -hmm. now I guess it still sounds like an excuse because even before then like when I was smaller and I think I mentioned this before on a, a um, 
on an episode. I used to communicate with my older cousin by writing letters. Do you know what I mean? So there's yeah. communication. Um, I just was like, I'm doing my old thing, you know, and that's it. You know what I mean? And I think because of that, um, our relationship is not an intimate one. Right. You know? okay. Yeah. All right. That's interesting. Um, but I, and I can, I can, what I'm trying to say is I can completely understand why, you know, mm -hmm. it's not, exactly. I think it's unusual. I don't, I don't, you know, but I, it's it, shame on one hand, but you still clearly have a good relationship. You love, you love and care for each other mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and support each other. So, you know, that's nice. And, and so she's now in her late twenties, early thirties. No, my sister's 11 years younger than me. Oh, 11 I'm years. 37. Yeah. She's 26. Right, so I thought you yes. said she was 11 at the time, so 11 years younger, okay. Mm -hmm. right. And where, where is she now? Is she in Chicago? Uh-huh, yes. Okay. All right, mm -hmm. good. Um, okay, um, all right, well, uh, my last one uh, is actually a big mistake I made that I learned from, and, uh, and I don't think I've made again since, but maybe I have, uh, but hopefully not. Um, my friend Ollie, uh, who was one of my best friends in college, um, and Sally, he lives in Spain now, so... We, we, haven't, we don't really speak much anymore because he's doing his thing, I'm doing mine, and, and I'd love to see him sometime and um, hopefully soon. Um, but him and I in college were very close and we actually worked on all of our movies together. Like he was the director and writer and I was the producer. Um, so we did, we did four or five short films together, including uh, we, we uh, did a commercial for Kodak uh, as part of the Kodak Student Commercial Awards and ours was uh, for Dove, Real Beauty Campaign. Have you ever seen this commercial? Mm -hmm. the, the four old white men deciding what women should look like. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, anyway, so which was great. So Ollie and I found success in that and we won several awards, which was great. And um, so we had, we had a really good time in that respect. But one time he, he shared a script with me mm -hmm. that, that I didn't think was very good. Um, and, I, you know, and, and to be honest, that was maybe partly because the writing wasn't necessarily good, but, but also because I didn't understand it. You know, I didn't have the tool set and skill set to really um, uh, understand it fully and, and read it properly. Um, but the mistake I made was um, commenting about it to a mutual friend of ours negatively. So, you know, I said, you know, he's written the script. It's not very good, blah, 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 which obviously got back to Ollie who was deeply hurt, understandably, and, and called me out on it. And I apologized. And I'm like, well, shit, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't think about it. It was just clearly a mistake. So, but it did hit me hard. And I'm like, well, that's horrible. One, one to make him feel that way. And two, to kind of understand I'd betrayed his trust. Mm. Um, and, and so that was a real lesson for me in that moment. And, and I really was, you know, very apologetic about it. And uh, it's always stuck with me, um, you know, th that confidence, that the importance of trust. And, um, I think anyone that knows me now, you know, I, I, if someone tells me something in confidence, that's it. You know, I'm not telling anyone else, who, whoever, mm -hmm. whatever it is. And, and that's a big part of it, you know, having that experience with Ollie. So I wanted to bring that up. Why do you think you didn't want, like, why do you feel like you didn't want to tell him what you really felt in front of his face at the time? Well, I think I did. I did. Well, maybe I didn't actually. Um, it's probably because I didn't, I didn't know how to. Yeah. I didn't have the, the tool set to, to yeah. say. Um, yeah. Uh, which is kind of sad. And the, the irony with, with us as we learn to, to communicate with other people is really the best way to communicate is just say what you think. Right? I know, it's young, but it's, right? so, it's hard. But like, why is it hard? Like, why is that hard? Because what? Experience. Because, you know, I'll tell you what it is, at least for me, what I think it is, uh, mm -hmm. a part of it is 
Um, and it goes back to my my theory on conflict and and the the lack of need for conflict on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, it's that we grow up with people around us and watching TVs and movies and whatever. And and when someone says something in a certain way, you generally get a certain reaction or on yeah, characters or not. So it's an expectation thing. And, and you, I, you know, you have to learn that that's not necessarily how the world works. Um, yes. So it's, it's an expectation thing. And I just didn't, I didn't understand the realities at the time. Um, thankfully I do now. Um, I'm very conscious of it. So that was an important moment. I think this is such a good, um, I think this is such a good example because it's something that like we as like super grown adults still have a hard time doing. For example, um, I'm a part of this writer's group. It's all black women's writer's group. So helpful, great. This past weekend, there was somebody who shared an outline, which was interesting enough. Um, and her outline was 14 pages, which is already strike one, okay? Your outline ain't supposed to be that long, okay? Yep. That's not for an a outline. pilot, for a pilot. Right. And the outline, it, it, it literally looked like, a, uh, it looked like, I mean, it had the same font, like her, your new font, you know, like an actual pilot. And then the scene headings were in there. And then she was describing the scenes, but also including dialogue. It was, it was, it was fascinating. And I'm like, this is interesting. But the problem is I didn't say that, you know, I didn't say anything about the structure. Then you have like 10 other people on the call too, who also didn't say anything. I asked her something as simple as, well, what is your log line? Cause I didn't really understand what the stakes were for this character, for these, for this character. And she was fuzzy on the log line. So then I've been trying to work on my cooth because I really don't have much. Admit, like, I really don't. It's like very difficult. It depends on who you are. Like my mother, I have to have cooth with my mother, okay? And Ishmael. But other than that, it's it's crazy. Um, so we're all on this call and I'm like hoping somebody's going to say something, you know? And the closest somebody got was the actual moderator who was like, well, you know, you, you probably want to like, you know, firm up this log line because it'll give you like some direction, you know? So her story was, was funny. It, it was in interesting. Um, but there are a lot of like uh, main components that were just missing. There was no clarity as to what was going on, right? But all of us women, um, I don't think we're very honest. And so it's also like, well, what the hell is the point of this writer's group? Because it's accountability as well. Um, so it's interesting that you have these 30-something, 40-something, late 20-something women, many different perspectives, walks of life, who I think, including myself, still have a hard time providing positive feedback, critical feedback, but still positive, right? Uh, because I I think really more with me was the cooth part. Like, am I, is this going to sound right? But then be, maybe if if it sounded wrong it would have at least helped you know um whereas with other people who may not have a cooth problem just chose not to say anything uh for whatever reason uh -huh. um so yeah to your point i i think honestly a lot of it is projection that's what i think that it is that maybe if somebody were to tell us something critical about ourselves then we would take it the wrong way or whatever um but yeah, I think it's fascinating. 
there's a, there's a huge irony to that, and that as you as you kind of alluded to, but that the reason you're in that group is for that feedback. For right. That <laughs> That's the whole um, point. So the one thing I'll say, uh, you you said positive feedback and critical feedback, but the yeah. word you're really looking for is constructive. Constructive. That's yeah. right. And that's the key, and that that's how you you've got to that's frame right. it. Um, at least what I've learned. Um, but so so us having just talked about this, and you explaining that you're clearly not doing what you should be doing in this group. What are you going to do next time? I'm going to provide constructive feedback and ask all of the questions. Great, because I mean, the 14 page for a pilot. That's, that's it. Feels like a treatment outline. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's, not, it's not an outline. An outline is you know a page, two pages, maybe uh, whatever it is, or maybe a few, but depending on on what it is. Um, as I understand it, you want your outline, your synopsis, which is one paragraph, and then uh, maybe a one-page synopsis, and then like a two-page outline or something. But 14 pages is too much. Yeah. Well, this is what's interesting because now you confuse me even more. What's going on with the person that needed my outline? She told me that she needed something between seven and nine pages. Interesting. Okay. Yes, she sure. said that outline needs to be seven to nine pages. Okay. Okay. She told me to start out with a logline, right? Include the logline and the outline. Then yeah. do a synopsis, which is a bit include. That's a part of the outline too. Then right. go into the tone, right? Then go into like a pilot ah. summary. You know what I mean? So that's where the, so the seven to nine pages come in. Yeah, that's the pitch. That feels more like a pitch document. She calls that. it an outline. Maybe it's a pitch. I mean, who the hell knows? But she said seven to nine pages for outline. I mean, you've just pitch, outline. That's, that's pitch. Yeah, I think so. Which is great. That, that's okay. That's even better that you, that's what you put forward. Um, mm -hmm. And and so on the 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 writing front, um, I, I've been working on this project. It was a personal project, and now it's kind of for work. But um, one of the things I've had to do recently is condense, you know, ten pages into one page. Um, and, and as well as, uh, I mean, that's a really an excellent process because it really makes you focus on the key and important elements of what you're trying to. Yes, it does. Right? And, and so it's a really, it's a really, and for any writers, um, whatever you're doing to try and get something in a line in a paragraph and, and condense it like that is such a, a wonderful and helpful tool, even just to understand what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Good. Well, I'm glad you're going to be more constructive next time because because the, the reality is that group is it's just a waste of all That's your time point. if you're being honest. Right? Exactly. But, I agree with you. So and and criticism can be difficult, but it just depends how you frame it. You know, you know, you know what would trigger you, right? So just just frame it like that. What you know, the, a nice, kind way to do sure. it. That's a good point. Yeah. I think uh, I'm lead with here's some constructive criticism. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Classic. Um, all right. So let's get on to our two truths and a lie. We are we are even at three three, having both failed last week. Yes. Um, right. So so I, I'm gonna I'll go first this time. Okay. Cool. Number one, um, I had to walk two miles home in my socks covered in blue paint. Number two, I worked at the beach every summer. Number three, I lived with my uncle for the first year of college. The last one. Wait, you said for the last year of college? For the first year of college. Blue paint, beach, uncle. I'm gonna go with the uncle situation. 
Correct. And what I didn't realize is I kind of gave it away earlier, having told you that yes. I lived with this guy. So yes. that's a shame because I kind of screwed myself over there. But yeah, yes. I, 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 I put that one because my uncle did offer to let me live in his spare room. Um, but it wasn't, you know, as desirable as living with friends. Okay. <laughs> Um, and then uh, I did work at the beach every summer. It's still my favorite job I've ever had. Um, I love that. And we'll actually talk about that next time, uh, one uh, experience specifically. Um, and then the two miles home in my socks covered in blue paint. That was after my 21st birthday when uh, my friends put some money together. And as well as getting drunk already, they got me 10 different shots and a pint of beer that I, I drank all of. Um, and that was about 7, 8 p.m. And then went out for the rest of the night and was, was drinking absinthe and champagne and, uh, you know, way too much. And it was horrific. I had the worst hangover I think I've ever had the next day. And I woke up in the bed of my girlfriend at the time, Nadia. And uh, she was not in the bed. She was sleeping on the sofa in the living room because, you know, obviously I was just so drunk and, you know, fidgeting around. Um, and I was, the boys had painted me in blue paint. Um, and I didn't know where my shoes were. So I had to walk from Nadia's house to my house in this hot summer as well. And it was like, it was not a fun walk. Oh my gosh, that sounds horrible. Oh, and then actually to top it off again with the pranks thing, uh, I got home and um, the the boys had taken my bed from my room and hidden it somewhere. So I had no bed. I couldn't even get home and just get into bed. We did that a few times to, to different people. That was a good mm. That is a good one. That alarm yeah. one, that takes the cake, buddy. <laughs> That's the best. That um, all right, what do you got? So you're up 4-3 right now. Can I, can I even it out again? Let's see. Uh, okay. I produced a documentary about an Egyptian restaurant. I was known as the girl on campus who didn't wear a bra. I was a part of the Black Student Union. Interesting. Um, I'm going to go with the no bra. Nope. Damn. Damn. <laughs> I knew that Black Student Union was going to get you. I knew it. It's actually the Black Student Union. I was not a part of that. I didn't have time. I was chasing these boys, okay? Get out of here. Boys are on the calendar. Okay? There might have, been, might have been nice boys at the Black Student Union. Please. I knew all of them at American University, okay? That's the thing about going to a, a white school. That's what we call them. PWI means predominantly white institution. So anytime you hear that, that's what, so going to a, 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 a white school. <laughs> so all the all the Black people, including the Caribbeans, Afri anybody who identifies racially as, you know, a Black person, we all know each other. And it was like 10 of us. So Please, I was trying to go to Howard University, see what those men were like over there, George Washington University, Georgetown. I hit all of them, okay? Look. <laughs> and University of um, Maryland at College Park. That's where my first boyfriend was from. Look, no time for Black Student Union. I'm looking for the Black male students, you know? Um, so, yeah, that was the lie. So, Love. all right, so you're up for three. Yes. So then I just wanted to mention, I did produce a short doc about this Egyptian restaurant um, that my other boyfriend at the time, he knew this family. Shout out to Astor Restaurant in Washington, D.C. Uh, the owners are Egyptian. They have a pretty amazing story about 
um, their journey as immigrants to owning that to restaurants. And then yes, the bra thing. I just never enjoy bras like ever. And listen, okay. And I'm saying this pre-children, all right. So in the future, because I know these children are going to come and I know what's going to happen to my breasts. Okay. But my boobies are fantastic. They are the perfect size. <laughs> they, I, they don't need no kind of like bra support, especially in the summer. I wear a bra, of course, in the winter, but in the summer, look, I'm out here. Okay. I'm out here. And in college, I definitely was out here and the tube tops, everything. And then a friend of mine told me, I want to say some years later, this was maybe God, seven years out of school, maybe seven to 10 years out of school. She said, you know, you were, you were known as the girl who didn't wear a bra, right? I was like, what do you say? She was like, anytime they mention you, the guys would say that girl who doesn't wear a bra. I was like, wow, that's, <laughs> that's kind of effed up, but all right, that's fine. So yeah. Brilliant. All right. Well, well done. You've taken the, the lead on this one. Um, and what about apartment 4E? What are you going to put in this week? Um, I don't know. Um, wait, yes, I do. I want to take, I want to put in apartment free, um, this idea that like three women can live in a dorm together. So like my freshman year, they put me with two nasty girls, by the way, disgusting, disgusting. And even if they weren't disgusting, I don't want to live in a cell block with two other grown, two other women. That's disgusting. Okay. So I want to put that in there, like keep it just to two people. Three people in one four by six. I don't think so. You know, even two people are now. That's like that's 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 not a good situation. You know, um, and and by the way, we're very privileged that we you know generally don't have to do that. Um, uh, but that's that's not fun, um, especially at college when you you know you're hooking up with people and stuff, right? You don't really want to have, you know, two girls who just pretending to sleep next to you because there are everyone's pretending in that situation you know <laughs> do girls do that like girls never did that like we always went to the boys like well we had a we all had our apartment. own room generally right so, oh you know, so yeah in even so i could have stayed in dorms or uh, halls we call them halls um and, but i'd have had my own room okay i definitely spent some time in some of those rooms just not my own got it got it um yeah all right uh, they, absolutely that's a good one to put in there and it should disappear um for me it's going to be and this is specifically for the u.s really because the uk is not so bad um but the cost of college right the the, the amount people have to pay um yeah and, and by the way that i'm not saying yeah. eliminate all costs because i don't think that's the answer i don't think making college free to everyone because it is a competitive as soon as you do that you take the competitiveness out of colleges and i think that's really important to maintain interesting um, okay you know, and 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 even so, there it's a business for it. whether it's education or not. It's still a business, and they have to you know pay people and get supplies and put you know put, keep the electricity on. So I think it's completely reasonable people have to pay. Um, should there be more subsidies from the government? Yes, right. Should there be more scholarships like that? Yes. Um, but ultimately, it just shouldn't cost as much as it does because even the standard colleges here are just expensive, right? Um, and that's and that's a shame because it just it it, it prices people out of an education which as we know is a huge problem in in this country in particular mm -hmm. so I'm, gonna, I'm gonna remove the excessive cost for college mm -hmm. yeah yeah right 
um, uh, and I actually had kind of had one radical idea about it, which would never ever happen, but I thought it was quite quite funny. Is that uh, in the particularly expensive schools, you know, like the the best of the best, as it were, um, the kids that are have this skill set and ability to fit within that environment and to learn and and you know and thrive in that environment get subsidized by the rich kids. So the rich kids pay the the excessive price. And then the poorer kids don't pay anything. So the rich kids are kind of paying for the, the, the poorer kids um, to be able to do it. And that, you know, kind of giving them the opportunity as well. It would never work because I think that most rich people would, would look badly on the people they are um, doing equity here paying for, and it would create some kind of hostility in the program. But I think as a nice balance, I think that would be a great way to um, kind of spend people's money. That's interesting. And I would totally disagree with that. And that can be for another time, but yeah, I don't, I don't think that's. As I say, fair. it's a radical idea. It's completely. Yeah, not I don't think that's fair. fair. No. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, anything else to add before we close up today? Nope. Okay. Um, I, I do uh, one very brief thing, and it's uh, someone asked me about success this week and mm -hmm. how I find it, and. Uh, I, it didn't take me long to think about it, but um, what I realized is that now in who I am now, and this is different to what, it, what I said five years ago, but now it's not, I don't define success statistically. For me, it's more emotionally. And, and by that, I mean, um, uh, you know, if I have a project or I have an idea, or I'm, I have a job or I'm going for a job or, or if it's a relationship, whatever it is, um, it, it doesn't, the end result doesn't matter. What, what does matter to me is knowing that in myself, I've given everything I can give to it. And to me, that's success, um, as opposed to whatever the result is. I don't know if you agree with that as a, an idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. Right. Yeah. Okay. That was it. It just, it, someone asked me, and it just, I, it just made me think about it. And I'd never thought about it in that way, but that's how I know, or I get satisfaction from success is knowing that I gave it what I could do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would add that um, success is like wellness, you know, do you have peace? Do you have joy? Um, are you disciplined? Do you rest? Um, are you taking care of your family, your immediate community? That is success to me. And all of those things uh, tied to emotion, uh Right, and 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 then emotion supports a lot. Is of it that. tied to I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say it's tied. Well, supporting to your family, for example, you're supporting them because you love them and you care for them, right? So it's. it's is that what it is? That's what you think? Maybe not. What? Why That's else? Interesting. That's why? interesting. Yes, I love my family, but it's also what I owe my family. It is right. what I owe them. Okay. For, yeah. For so that's through. despite whether I feel uh like like it or not right like what i it's what i owe them so interesting okay mm -hmm. i think i can understand you know and, and yeah. i uh, can agree with that for sure you know, you yeah. know there's, there's a it's a responsibility uh when sure. you're in the for sure i'm just lucky that i have um family that are grateful for the support and vice versa um but i do think of it as a duty and not something tied to emotion i physically can't afford that or emotionally because i don't feel like doing certain things all the time so if sure. i don't feel like it 
then that doesn't mean that I shouldn't still step up to the plate. So that's why for me, it's better for me to think of it as a duty and a responsibility. You right. know, I'm not a child anymore. I'm an adult. So there's a graduation that takes place in my mind where I can't allow my emotions to, um, to rule anything. Gotcha. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, Fair enough. I can see that. Um, all right. Um, well, well, next week we are talking kind of talking a little bit of college, but also our early work, our early career. Um, yes. We're kind of in that transitional period yes. um, from when we leave college to starting our careers. Um, yes. which I mean, for, for me, it was very interesting, and I'm sure for you as well, because that's when we really start becoming adults, I think. And I, I really have to take responsibility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, and before we go, um, let's share our socials. Mm-hmm. Which is Instagram mm-hmm. is shooting the ish with the Brits without the G, shooting the ish with the Brits. And Twitter, we are ish with the Brits. Our website, which has it all, is www.ishwithabrit.com. Um, yeah, it's, and thank you, Jen, and, and thank you, listeners. And, and I look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you, guys. Until next time.